0: And I encouraged us last week, it is a short but powerful book, and I encourage you to go and read it on your own. So I'm going to do that again, Um, not just once, but multiple times. It's a very short book and says a lot. And last week we focused on uh, what we took away from chapter one was uh, we we studied that chapter one talked about the greatness of God and what our devotion looks like in response to the greatness of God. And specifically, one of the things it talked about was finances, uh, their tithe. So, you know, sort of a modern-day way to kind of say, well, you might remember in the story, he said, you know, why are you bringing your, um, you know, your, your, your handicapped, uh, <clears throat> you know, offering to God instead of bringing your, your best? Is God, is God not worth that? Um, so, you know, a kind of a modern-day uh, way to maybe look at that is just look at your, Look at, like, for example, what, what did you give away last year? Like, so our church sends out a statement, and it says, this is what you gave, uh, and you may give to other places, but that's a good sort of like a way to say, like, you know, look at my offering and see, am I giving my best or am I kind of giving my leftovers? And we just really, the thesis of last week was that when we're captured by the greatness of God, we happily and cheerfully and willingly give of our best. And we're not only talking about money. Money really is just the beginning. Um, you know, I said last week, if, if we struggle to give 10%, what are we going to do when he asks us to give 100%? So money, uh, you know, is really just the entryway. Uh, and if you have a struggle, I've talked to a number of people this week. It's, money has been an issue, and people have brought it up. Um, and, it, and it really comes down to trust. If you struggle to give of your finances away, It's just really a trust issue. I don't trust God. Like, because if I told you, hey, like, you now make a million dollars a a year, okay? Everyone right now, let's all shake our heads. We all make a million dollars a year. How easy would it be for you to give away a tenth of that, a hundred thousand? Probably pretty easy, right? So, well, then why can't we nowadays? Why do the majority of so-called Bible-believing Christians not give much of a tithe at all? And the reason is that there's a trust issue because we don't make a million. And I'm going to tell you a secret. If you made a million, it would actually be harder for you to give. Statistics say the people that give the most income in churches make below 30000 a year. Those are the, that's the, the demographic that gives the largest percent of their income to the church. Once people make over 100000 a year, that 10% drops to 1%. What does that tell you? It tells you that money is an issue, and the more you have, the more it will grab you. So surrender is the issue, and uh, but money's money shmoney. Um, there's a much greater issue here, and it is us being captured by the greatness of God. And I want to reread the quote from A. W. Tozer that I read last week. This is a great little book, The Knowledge of the Holy. It's a great entryway into Tozer, probably his most well-known book, maybe this and the one he wrote on the train, um, which is, for some reason, it's slipping my mind right now, but uh, he is a great author, pastor from Chicago, and uh, this uh, is a a wonderful book, and I just want to read a little little bit to you, and then we're going to pray and look at chapter 2 talking of recapturing the greatness of God and the reverence of God. He says, The message of this book does not grow out of these times, but it is appropriate to them. It's called forth by a condition that has existed in the church for some years and is steadily growing worse. Now, this is written in the 40s and 50s, 1950s. I refer to the loss of the concept of majesty from the popular religious mind. The church has surrendered her once lofty concept of God and has substituted it for one so low, so ignoble as to be utterly unworthy of thinking, worshiping men and women. The loss of the concept of majesty has come just when the forces of religion are making dramatic gains and churches are growing more than any time in the past several hundred years. But the alarming thing is that our gains are mostly external and our losses wholly internal. Since it is the quality of our religion that is affected by internal conditions, it may be that our supposed gains are really losses. And then to conclude that thought, he says, It's my opinion that the Christian conception of God, current in these middle years of the 20th century, and I will add in 2023, is so decadent as to be utterly beneath the dignity of the Most High God and actually to constitute for professed believers something amounting to a moral calamity. All the problems of heaven and earth, though they were to confront us together and all at once, would be nothing compared to the overwhelming problem of God, that He is what He is like and what we as moral beings must do about Him. So, to paraphrase what Mr. Tozer says there, when we encounter God in his greatness, it changes us. It has to change us. And if it doesn't, we want to examine and say, what's wrong? What's happened to me? Do I revere God at all? And that's what Malachi really is about. So let's pray, and we're going to read chapter 2. Father, we come to you today and... We're just again. I'm just thankful as the rain comes down. Your word says the rain is a picture of your mercy every time, ever since the covenant of the rainbow. And so, we thank you for the provision that rain brings, the refreshing, the way it quiets us and settles us. Maybe it makes us be less active and more thoughtful. And most of all, we thank you that you are merciful, that you are good and that your love endures forever. Lord, I pray as we read through this book that you would change us, that you'd open our eyes, and that you'd bring about greater trust. And Lord, we, just, we ask you today for the grace of surrender. And Lord, we ask you for the grace to see, to see you as you are more. We choose, Lord, to repent and lay down idolatrous versions of God and of Jesus that we may have followed. And we just say that we want you as you are, as your word shares with us, as you are as your glory covers the earth. And would you grow us in that? And would you open our eyes to see what you're saying? Just mark these words on our life as we read today. We welcome you. As we're still praying, I just want to invite each person here now to just surrender yourself to God again. Lord, we surrender to you. It's best we know how. We say that whatever we brought in here in our minds that was occupying, we, we hand that thing to you. We hand that relationship to you. We hand that person to you. We hand the fear that we woke up with this morning to you. We give our anxiety and we cast our anxiety back into you and say, take it. We ask you for a simple faith this morning. Just bring about the fruit of your spirit as a result. Amen, amen. Malachi 2, the context is once again about 100 years after the final destruction of Israel and Jerusalem is recorded in the tail end of the Old Testament. It is the final book in the Old Testament, and it is one of the final books chronologically. It was written about the same time as Nehemiah and Esther. Wouldn't you like to be there with Malachi and Ezra and Nehemiah, like having coffee in the evening and just like see what they talked about? What a neat group of guys, and these other people too that were part of that. Um, let's read chapter 2. It says this And now this commandment is for you, O priests. If you do not listen, if you don't take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord, I will send a curse upon you. Lord. I will curse your blessings. Lord. Indeed, I've cursed them already because you're not taking it to heart. Behold, I'm going to rebuke your offspring, I'll spread refuse on your faces. I will spread refuse from your feasts on your faces and you will be taken away with it. Then you'll know that I've sent this commandment and that my covenant would continue with Levi, says the Lord. My covenant with him was one of life and peace. I gave them to him as an object of reverence. So he revered me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth. Unrighteousness was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, he turned back many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge, men should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord. But as for you, you've turned aside from the way, you've caused many to stumble, you've corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord. I have also made you despised and abased before people, just as you are not keeping my ways, but you're showing partiality in the instruction." verse 10. Do we not all have one father? Has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously against his brother as to profane the covenant of the fathers? Judah has dealt treacherously, an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem, for Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign God. As for the man who does this, may the Lord cut off from his tents of Jacob everyone that awakens and answers and presents an offering to the Lord of hosts. Here's another thing you do. You cover the altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he, God no longer rewards, regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. Yet you say, why? What reason? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But not one has done so who has a remnant of the Spirit And what did that one do while he was seeking a godly offspring? Take heed then to your spirit. Let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel, him who covers his garment with wrong. Says the Lord of hosts. So take heed to your spirit that you don't deal treacherously. You've wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say to him, how have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone that does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. And where is the God of justice? So, a lot there. Uh, the focus of this passage uh, is the reverence of God. And I want to talk about, as I read this and reread this and reread this, uh, there's some common themes that I see in here. The first is this that there are consequences for dishonor and irreverence. So, verse one through three is hard. It's a hard one, isn't it? The Lord says, refuse. I studied the, 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 the Hebrew there. And the word uh, in the Old Testament that he uses is vomit. And so what he's saying is you've gotten so full, you're going to barf it back out. Did you know that if, like, God pours out his blessing on you and we're not thankful, that blessing can turn to a curse? Here's here's an example of that. This is the greatest nation, I believe, in the world. But we are like $31 trillion in debt right now. And we went from being… How does that happen? Like, you read about these celebrity millionaires on, on like, and, you know, you read about it on the internet, and, like, they don't have any money or they're in debt, you know? Like, how does that happen? How does that happen? Well, blessings can become curse when we lose reverence. When God just pours out on us over and over and over, and we dishonor Him, it can turn into a curse, And it's very important for us, guys, um, in this day and age, we live in a day and age when absolute truth is not popular. It's not popular to stand for anything. The things that this book stands for, here's a big one. Don't lie. Truth. Truth. I mean, just truth. I mean, that was Pilate's thing. What is truth? Just truth is so disregarded these days. I read something yesterday. He said if If they can convince you that a man is a woman and a woman is a man, then they can convince you and make you believe anything else. And it's true. Basic truth. Truth about money. Truth about humans. Truth about our origins. Truth about honor. And truth is not hindered by compromise. This is where the devil, just like back in the book of uh, Genesis, you know, the Lord told Adam and Eve, he said, here's the deal, right? Right? And they said, okay. And then Satan came along. You remember what he did? He said, God lied to you. God lied to you. It's, it's kind of the way God said, but it's kind of like this. And we, he is using the exact same strategy right now in the world and in the church. He wants us to kind of believe the truth, but also just kind of not believe the truth. And truth is unpopular. But truth is not hindered by compromise, and God will not be mocked. Good will reap good, and evil will reap evil. And so, there's a warning here given to us about the consequence of, of, of irreverence toward God. And this is one myself included, and perhaps first and foremost, because this passage speech, speaks to the priests, that we, we want to very soberly consider our reverence before God. I mean, we really should... We really should think about that. I, I remember as a young whippersnapper, I got saved, and I got in the vineyard, and uh, I went to a Bible college, a very conservative, wonderful Bible college called Columbia Bible College and Seminary in Columbia. Beautiful, beautiful school full of amazing people, and I, uh, and I would go to chapel, and i I was, chapel was strange. It was just a bunch of wooden pews that creaked. And we just sang pretty much for the three years I was there. uh, We pretty much just sang um, old hymns that I didn't feel were relevant to me at all. It's just because I was proud and arrogant. I wanted to sing that stuff. And, uh, And I sat through that for a few weeks. And I just remember sort of tuning out. Maybe you're tuning out right now. And, um, and I sat through that, and guys, the Spirit of the Lord came upon me about my irreverence. And I started reading the words of those hymns. And here's the thing. Those hymns are as good or better than anything we sing modern. All that stuff on the radio, it's fine, whatever. I like it. Maverick City, Vineyard, Passion, whatever. I mean, Bethel, it's, it's good stuff. Those hymns, that's where it's at. I'm going to tell you. As someone is not a child of the church, I read the Methodist hymnal for my devotions and I get moved deeply. Deeply. And the Lord came upon me in that season of my life and just I, I began realizing, Lord, I don't want treat, to treat as unimportant what is holy and right. And I started singing those hymns and sometimes I'd stand there in the chapel and weep as I sang those hymns over my sin and over God's greatness. So... Fast forward to 2023, you guys, it's, it's very, it, there are consequences of irreverence. And this is just a check for us. Malachi is a hard book to read. Isn't it? Tell your neighbor, Malachi's a hard book to read. It's tough when God says, if you approach me irreverently, I'm going to spread vomit on your faces. But here's the thing, guys. He is a great king. He is a great king, and he is to be honored, and we must recover the majesty and the greatness of God and follow him without shame. So that takes me to this next section of the passage, which is verse 4 through 7, and we are invited to recapture reverence. And this is the beautiful thing about God. When I sat there sinning, thinking I was, you know, I was like too relevant for all those old hymns, the Lord, he, 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 he rebuked me But he also invited me, and he has a thousand times since invited me. Help yourself. So, like, it's always an invitation with Jesus, even when we're in our sin. Like, this book, guys, it's a rebuke, but it's also an invitation. And he's saying, restore, restore in your heart. Recapture your love for me. And he gives some examples, and I love this passage. And this passage was a large part of why I named my middle son, Levi, is the things that it talks about, and, um, you know, we see these beautiful things in this passage that we're invited to call, to, to, to embrace. He uses the word life. This is what the covenant of God, this is what it's like when we embrace reverence for God and we give him offerings that he's worth. It's life, the word peace, the word truth, and more other things it says here. And, you know, th- this is our first commandment. Remember, guys, this is our first commandment. The first commandment is to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. And so he gives us this model here of the Levites, and he says this is, this is what it was about. It was about knowledge and peace and truth and, and honor and reverence. And that's what I want to fill your day and your workplace, and your homes, and your gatherings, and on and on and on. But there are things that erode our reverence, our reverence. And, you know, think about that. Like, if you're thinking about this whole reverence thing right now, and you're like, I don't know that I really, you know, God's kind of just my buddy, you know. Is God your buddy? Hmm. And, and, and so we want to recapture that. But things tend to erode it. It's hard. Isn't it hard? It's like hard to, it's hard to keep. I mean, we can't see him, first of all. I mean, we can. He's everywhere. His glory covers the earth. But we're people that sometimes we just want to walk by sight, not by faith. And so I was um, writing this message, and I kind of got to a place where I read the passage several times, and I said, Lord, all right, I'm going to get out of the chair, get out of the Bible, and just think. So I read it. I sat there, and I read it. And then I said, I'm going to go outside and do some work and I'm going to think about this passage. So I went outside into my yard, and um, I just painted my garage one day, a couple days uh, last week, and the paint is fresh. So I was out there thinking about Malachi 2, looking at my garage that was painted, the doors, and I noticed all these uh, little flying insects everywhere, everywhere, hundreds of them, hundreds of them. And, um, and I thought, this is strange. Like, I'm out here all the time, because that's what I do. That's what you do when you're 50 and your kids move out. You just stand out in your driveway and kind of look at the sky. I mean, it really is what I do a lot. Um, and so I'm out there doing that, thinking about Malachi, and there's all these little bugs. And I'm like, oh, I was out here yesterday doing nothing, staring at the sky, and then these bugs weren't here. What's going on? What are these? Are these ants or you know queen ants or some kind of creature from beyond? And then I'm, like, looking at them, and they're all, like, crawling up in where, the, like, the paint is. And I'm, like, well, maybe the fact of, like, the painting and the sanding agitated them, and they, like, w- w- smelled it and, it, and it, and so now they're, like, like, we're having a party. So then I just start, like, looking around, and I'm, like, oh, you know, I got that app on my phone, Seek. It'll identify any organism. Like, if you point it at a human, it'll say human. If you point it at a pine tree, it'll say, like, coniferous, blah, blah, blah. You know, you have that app. It's it's the best app. Seek S E E K. Seek. It's the best. So um, so I got out Seek and I turned it and I pointed at one of the bugs that was crawling around, and I think I have a picture of what it told me it was. Do we have the picture up there? <clears throat> that's it. So that's a screenshot. It was a termite. So I I saw that and I said, No, the internet's wrong. This can't be. <laughs> So, uh, I started peeling wood back, and this is what I found, and that is a piece of trim that has been demolished, and before we go to the next slide, it's just been uh, demolished by uh, termites. So then I spent about the next hour and a half like, oh no, now I have something to do. (laughs) How much of my house has been eaten? by uh, these creatures, and a funny thing, and I just wanted to share this for levity, is there was this little lizard the whole time, and I think I have a slide of, a couple slides of him, Um, it's the next one, I think, there was this little lizard the whole time, I love lizards. And lizards are the best thing in the world. And he was, the whole time, I'm sitting there like having my like hour and a half, like, oh no, how, how far has this gotten? Do I gotta call Orkin? Like, am I gonna have to buy a new house? Am I gonna have to, like, what's gonna happen? And this little lizard the whole time was like running around. Like he was having like, it was, it was like Cracker Barrel buffet for him. He was just eating all these things. And then the next picture, my, my I took another picture. My daughter made that meme and uh, he was uh, out there with me the whole time. But let's go back to the picture of the wood. Um, so I, I pulled the wood and I started cleaning up and uh, had to really dig. You know, guys, when you have that kind of damage, you really, you got to dig. Because you can't just kill all the termites or get some of the wood. You got to kind of dig back to the source, right? And you got to find out like where they are and you got to make sure you, you get the nest. So I did. And, uh, and that's what I did Thursday. And I uh, was thinking about this passage. And I just, I, I would ask you now, we're, we're done with the pictures. Um, I, I would ask you this question. Um, are, are there things that have eroded your relationship with God? Are, are there things in, in our lives uh, right now that, that we don't know about? I didn't know about the termites, but they had been there a long time. And and are there things in in your life and in my life that behind the scenes right now are eroding, eating up, and causing your soul unseen? We all look fine right now. Everyone in this room, you're a beautiful group of people. Nobody knows what's happening in here, though. So the question is, are are there things inside of us right now that are happening that are causing us to crumble, that are causing our reverence for God to crumble? I'm going to give you a few examples of what those might be. Um, This might hit really hard. I do believe that you know, with Asbury and everything that's happening, and forget Asbury, let's just talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are, in March 2023, being invited to repent before a great and holy God. If you read anything about what's happened in any revival, including what is seeming to happen in Asbury and other places in the last few months, you'll know that it was about repentance. So, maybe these are the termites in our lives. Uh, here's, Here's one. The stain of the world. Is, is the stain, James, James says it, don't make yourselves friends of the world. Whoever makes themselves friends of the world becomes, what does it say? Yeah, and, it, and it, just think about that. James says it. The one that makes himself, okay, am I a cultural Christian Or am I a really want Jesus Christian? This is a chance for us to just decide. Whoever makes himself a friend of the world is an enemy of God. And so I read that and I I think, well, maybe I need to think about that for a minute. The stain of the world. James also says in chapter 1, this is pure and true undefiled religion before our God, to keep oneself unstained from the world. Um, addiction to sin or playing with sin casually. And this is just a thing to think about. Guys, if you're in this room and you, you're, you have a casual addiction to sin, I would, I would plead with you, I would plead with you to just find a person to confess that to and, and start dealing with it. And don't let it, just, don't let it just live in there. It's a termite. And, and, it's, and you don't maybe not know it because no one sees it, but it it will eat you up. And then, you know, another thing is just the lack of plugging into the to good things. You know, maybe we just, our reverences become defiled because we've quit plugging into the Lord. And then another one, and this is probably everyone can nod your heads, you're just tired. Who's just tired of trying to follow God? Isn't it hard sometimes? I mean, and there's a good, there's like a bad tired, but then there's also like a good tired of like, I've just been at it for a year or six months, or or maybe you've been sober for a week. If you've been sober for a week ever, you know day eight is like killer. Like day eight is killer. And then when you've been sober for eight days, day nine is killer. It's really hard. And maybe some of us were just that reverence is gone because we're just tired. We've just been doing this a long time. And if you discern that any of those are in your lives, I just want to like, encourage you to run through the crowd. Grab the hem of Jesus' garment. His, he always loves a contrite heart. And let me end with the final part that talks about um, loving others. It talks specifically about husband and wife and also in verse 10 about how we treat our brother. And... Um, Love is the litmus test of our reverence. What that means is, as the Lord talks about reverence, he puts his finger on two items here. Verse 10, how we treat our brother. And then verse 14, 15, 16, how a husband treats his wife. And I think you could flip that and say how a wife treats her husband. So that's a a great way for us to say, well, where where is my reverence for God? And it's kind of like Jesus says, like, you know, like, if, if if you can't love your brother, you can't love God. Like, your love for God is really measured by how you take care of your neighbors. Jesus is very clear about that. And so it's the people in our lives that are one of the greatest proofs of how our reverence for God really is and what our love for God really looks like. And um, kind of my final like, rant for today, I have a number of them, is there's really, a, there's really a theme that is very popular right now. I wrote an article. It's on our website right now. It's called Down with the Church. There is a, it's very popular right now to be down on the church and when we're down on the church cuz we look at all the pastors that have had sexual scandals or we look at you know the priests that have done this or that or you know we look at the pastors that have airplanes and all that stuff it's really easy for us to justify and say yeah it's just a room of people it's just full of a bunch of people that are just pretending and i i get that but like here's the thing you know like we're all hypocrites you know like they're all hypocrites in there yeah we are you're not you know the person that like isolates and says they don't get me they're they're just all Oh, so you're too good for the church? You're too good for the church. They're all hypocrites. Uh, I'm not, so I'll stay out. Like, why don't you jump in? to Like, jump in with all the sinners at Vineyard, okay? Like, there's a big cross everywhere. There's crosses everywhere. We identify because we love Jesus and need Jesus and come to the cross and the resurrection. Yes, we are all hypocrites. And, and, and so there, there's this movement of like, I, I don't want to be around people, I can't be around people, I'm, I'm no good, they're no good, blah, blah, blah. And, and I just want to say, like, really, we want to test our love for God and our reverence for God. Let's look at the relationships in our life. Let's look at the relationships in our life. Because as I read the scripture, that is really, really important to the Lord. Looking at some of Jesus' most basic statements, guys, okay? Here we go. Are you ready? All right, here's one. Love your neighbor. How can you love your neighbor if you're never around people? Like, I I dip into church two or three times a a month and just kind of like get my dose of the ghost and maybe, (laughs) you know, feel good. And like, that's why we were like trying to get you guys to like go camping with each other and like doing all these events and stuff. Like, that's why we have all these home groups. Like, you want to learn to love your neighbor? Here's the thing get around your neighbor. I don't like my neighbor. I'd rather stay in my house. I just, I'm going to say that's just not real Christian, guys. It's just not real Christian. If we're living our, you know, his, his thing in verse 10 and 16, or, or 14, 15 is like your, your, your irreverence, like look back to the roots of it. The termites of that is that you're not loving your brother, you're not loving your wife. You're like, you're treating them with disdain, and then you bring your offering, and you wonder why your offering isn't pleasing to God. And he says, this is why. Like, go back and repair that. So, like, you need people in your life to test this in you, love your neighbor. Here's another one. Here's another one Jesus said. Treat others as you'd be treated. How can you treat other people the way you want to be treated if you're stuck in your bedroom all the time? And I know it's hard. I mean, we got to get out, but Christian, it's, it's, it's something in community. We've got to learn to love people. Here's another one Jesus said, very popular thing he said. If someone slaps your right cheek, turn the other. How am I ever going to learn how to do that if I'm never around someone to get slapped? Because as I read it, he's saying, hey, if you hang around with those Christians, they're going to be slapping you all over the place. And you're going to have to figure it out. You're going to have to figure out this love thing. Here's another popular one. A new commandment I give you, love one another. How can I love one another if I'm choosing to isolate myself from the body? Or my wife? Or my children? Or my brother? Here's another one. Lord, forgive us our trespasses as... We forgive those that trespass against us. What does that mean? I just read so much this, of this on the internet right now, and it's, I'm, just, I'm sick of it. Down with the church. I'm not going. Oh, really? So Jesus says, forgive us our trespasses, the Lord's Prayer, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Well, guess what? It sounds like to me that Jesus says, you're going you're to be getting around some people that are going to be sinning against you, and you're going to have to figure it out. Christian, I mean, how can we forgive others if there's no one to forgive? And that's part of the problem. Part of us are like, I've been so hurt and damaged, I'm just like, forget it. And I'm just here to tell you, like, push through that. It's worth it. It is worth it. It is worth getting in the mess of people's lives. Because that is where we experience the goodness of God. And if we leave every time we have a chance to get slapped on the cheek or treat someone the way we'd want to be treated or love our neighbor or forgive our neighbor, if we choose to to pull out every time we have a chance to do that, we're just never going to grow. So let's go back to the source. The source of all of this is reverence for God. And the Lord uses that final as an illustration. You might think, what's he talking about divorce for? What's he talking about, you know, breaking the covenant with my brother for? Um... And I I think he's doing it because he's saying, "I I want you guys to mix up. I Want you guys to like. Here's how. Here's how you prove that reverence. You love others. You get in other people's lives. You figure it out. And guys, it's not easy. Is it easy? It's not easy. You know what's great though? Man, it's worth it. It is worth it every 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 time. So, Malachi two, recover your reverence. Let's all stand."